Hey, it's Chuck coming to you from the Verona Sports and Spiritual Library here in my apartment in Verona, Wisconsin. And we had a storm move through, but it's nice and sunny now. And, uh, supposed to be getting hot. It's only hot out, out west. I mean, it's, it's 90 degrees here, it's cool. The 118 out west, yeah, that's hot. Alright, so what we got going today is, uh, I'm talking about the great hitters of the major leagues, and it's by Frank Graham Jr., one of the best writers that uh, that was out on the East Coast in the days, back in the uh, 60s, 50s, and 60s. So it's pretty fun reading this stuff. Anyways, I'm going to be uh, discussing Ted Williams and Stan the Man. Incredible, incredible hitters. And that's why this book is called Great Hitters of the Major Leagues. So this is from a uh, copyright date of this book is 1967. And I'm sorry, copyright date is 1969. And I do want to read Little League Baseball is greatly, it's, it's, uh, this book is for Little League Baseball is greatly played, pleased to join with Random House and Establishment of the Little League Library. It is not, it is our confident belief that the book thus provided will prove entertaining and helpful for boys of Little League age and indeed for their parents and all who are Little Leaguers at heart. This is a one of a series of official Little League library books. Each has been read and approved at Little League headquarters. We hope they will en bring enjoyment and constructive values to all who have made the opportunity of reading them. And it shows uh, P.J. McGovern on it. He's the president and chairman of the board in the Little League Baseball Incorporated. What's the cool? All right, Ted Williams. It was a wild and exciting day at Fenway Park, the home of the Boston Red Sox. The fans who crowded the old ballpark with that on that summer day in 1946 cheered the slightest move made by the players. They had a they had a right to be excited and proud too. Baseball's all-star game was being played at Fenway Park for the first time, and the Red Sox, who were the host for the game, were on their way into the pennant to the first pennant in 28 years. In fact, American League squad was dominated by Boston players. The National League All-Stars did not have a chance. The American League pitching was almost perfect. And when American League took, it, took its turn at bat, Ted Williams blasted the game apart. The only time the National League pitcher stopped Ted was when they walked him. When they pitched to him, Fenway Park rang with the sound of the striking of the bat striking ball. 
In early, early innings, Williams slammed two singles and a home run as the American League built up a commanding lead. The Boston fans gave Williams a mighty cheer when he came to bat for the last time that after that afternoon. Rip Sewell, an experienced pitcher, was on the mound from the New National League. Rip had a trick pitch. Well, she threw only once in a great while. But when he threw it, he usually fooled the batter. He called his pitch the blooper ball. He pretended he was going to throw a lot of fastball, but then at the last minute, he simply lobbed the ball. Lobbed the ball pitch high in the air. Lobbed the pitch high in the air. Sorry. The batter usually stood there in surprise. If he didn't swing at it, his timing was off, and he could not hit it solidly. But Ted Williams was a different sort of pitter. He waited at the plate for Sewell's blooper to drop out of the sky and adjusted his swing to meet the ball squarely. And it hit a towering home run. The American League won the game 12 to nothing, and afterward, Everyone was talking about Williams. That was the greatest exhibition of hitting I have ever seen, one big league fan, one big league manager said that next day. Williams is fantastic. No finer natural hitter than Williams has ever come to the big leagues. He had the power of Babe Ruth and the keen batting eye of Rogers Hornsby. Only Joe DiMaggio in his own time rivaled him for the honor of being the greatest player in the game. Yet DiMaggio somehow was an, was an inspiration to his teammates and led them to the uh, victory again and again. Williams did not have that quality. He could, have, could, he could, have, he could not control himself, much less... much less lead other men. As a result, the Red Sox saw few triumphs during his long career in Boston. 1946 All-Star Game was typical of Williams' career. Typical of Williams' career. Although All-Star Games are colorful spectacles bringing together the best players in each league, they're actually exhibition games. An exhibition does not come with standings, and it makes dip, it makes a little difference, except for the pride of the individual players who wins the game. Williams was at best in games of the sort when he was smashing the ball into the seats during pregame batting practice. Oh wow! Williams was at his best in games of this sort. When he was smashing the ball into the seats during pregame, home run hitting contests, or the All-Star Games and other high exhibitions, Williams could not be matched by any other hitter whoever lived. But in an important game, the story was often different. Ted hit a number of game-winning home runs, of course. A hitter with his ability to... A, a hitter with his ability could not help 
but get him in the important games. But on the whole, many players with less natural talent have in the long run proved to be more valuable to their team. Right from the start, Williams was clearly an extraordinary hitter. Like so many other sluggers, he began his career as a pitcher. The scouts who saw him in San Diego, his hometown, liked his power at the plate better than his pitching arm. 1939, Ted came to to the Red Sox at the age of 20. He already had gained the reputation that would stay with him throughout his career. No one doubted that he was a great hitter. No one one doubted either that his frequent walks would give the Red Sox many unhappy moments, frequent salts. I'm going to say that again, I'm sorry. No one doubted either that his frequent sulks would give the Red Sox many unhappy moments. (laughs) I missed that one. As a rookie, Ted hit 31 home runs and batted 327. He added terrific power to what you already He added terrific power to what was already a strong batting order at Boston. He had a remarkable pair of eyes. Other other players told how he could read the numbers on the on the license plates of automobiles far ahead of his own car. One of the other people in the car would make only the would make out only the outline of the plates. He was sensitive in other areas in other ways too. A player told of a visit he had made with Williams to a factory where the bats were manufactured. The first president asked Ted what he thought of the bats that were lying on a special rack. This one on the right is a little heavier, Ted said after he had lifted each of them. No, it's not. The manufacturer said, those bats are all made to the same specifications. They're all exactly the same. But when Williams insisted that one was heavier than the other, the manufacturer ordered each of his bats to be relayed. Williams was right. The bat he had singled out weighed a quarter of an ounce. Quarter of an ounce more than the others. Ted devoted all his time to improving his hitting. All I want to tell in life, he said, is to be able to walk down the street and have people point to me and say, there goes the greatest hitter who ever lived. Red Sox probably Williams could win a win a ball game all by him with his bat. But if, he was, but if he was sulking, he could hurt the team, too. On those days, he seemed to have been play half-heartedly. Fly balls dropped in front of him in the outfield. He showed little interest in running the bases. Joe Cronin, the Red Sox manager, put in a pinch runner 
for Ted one day during his rookie season. Ted Cronin told him, you're a boy playing a man's game. And if you're going to stay in baseball, you've got to be a man. Although the Red Sox played Williams several, th- several times for his half-hearted playing, Ted never grew up. He had what the players called rabbit ears. They were very sensitive to insults from spectators or opposing players. If he chose, if he chased the fly ball at half speed and it fully and fell safely in front of him, the crowd would begin to boo him and shout insults. This made Ted furious. It got so that when he hit a home run and the crowd cheered him, he refused to tip his cap as the other players did. He was so determined to be the best player that ever, even the smallest criticism upset him. And then he would be very, very nearly became the great, became the worst player. Attitude, wow. But anyway, Ted never seemed to be able to keep his mouth shut at a time when when silence would have helped him. Once when he was especially upset about the, about some name the fans had called him, or some criticism the reporters had leveled at, at him. He remarked that it, it wasn't such a splendid thing to be a ball player after all. I'd rather be a fireman, he said. It was an unfortunate remark. The fans used to jeer, used to jeer at him. Fireman, save my child, save my child. When Ted came to bat against the White Sox, all the Chicago players in the dugout put on fireman's hats. And one of them sounded a, sounded a large siren. Ted was angrier than ever. Ted had his season in 1941. He hit home run to win the All-Star game in the ninth inning. Coming down to the final day of the coming down to the final day of the season. Ted was batting four hundred. There was considerable excitement because baseball had not had a four hundred hitter in more than ten years. And the fans were beginning to think that no one would ever hit that high again. You're right. They didn't. They were, they were right. The Red Sox closed their season with a doubleheader at Philadelphia. Since they had dropped out of the pennant race early in the season, there was no reason to put their best players on the field for these meaning less games. If Williams did not play that day, he would in be sure to insult or else he would be sure to finish the season with a four hundred average. If he did play 
he might not get any hits and his average would drop below 400. Do you want you have to set out today's games manager Cronin's asked him. William Sickens had no. I'm playing, he said. If I'm going to be a champion, I want to win like a champion. He did. In the first game, three pointer, he pounded three singles and a home run. He came to bat in the second game and hit a single and a double. His six hits for the afternoon gave him a final average of 406. Baseball has not had a 400 hitter since. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it's... It's uh, 1941, and that would have been 82 years ago. They still haven't had one. And uh, I gotta get a drink here quick. But yeah, this is a uh, 406 is one of those magical numbers in baseball. He was not. Uh, he was not well accepted by the writers, and uh, that's why Graham's pretty negative in parts of this. So, anyways, what we got here? We got. So like DiMaggio and Greenberg, Williams fought for his country during World War II. Being younger than they, being younger than they, he was still at the very peak of his career when he returned in 1946. The Red Sox won the pennant that year. The only time during Ted's years in Boston. They had a powerful team with such sluggers as Rudy York and Bobby Doerr. Joining Williams in the batting order, Ted was really on top of that on top that season. His tremendous exhibition of hitting ruined the national ruined the National League in the All Star game. And the Red Sox trampled on the other American League teams in Boston, drew closer to the pennant. It seemed as if Williams might break the a number of records, a number of batting records. Then a strange thing happened. One day when, Ted, when the Red Sox played the Cleveland Indians, Ted came to bat and the entire Cleveland team went into the Boudreaux shift. This is a play devised by the Indians manager. Lou Boudreaux knew that Williams was always trying to pull the ball to right field in order to hit home runs. So Boudreaux moved most of his players to the right side of the, of the field. The right fielder played almost on the foul line. First baseman did the same, stationing himself deep behind the bag. The second baseman played close to first base and the shortstop came over to the other side of the bag. 
standing where the second baseman usually played. The third baseman stood be, uh, behind second base. In softball, they would call that a rover. And that's the way I think of this. Uh, that's the way I think of this defensive alignment. The center fielder moved into the usual position of the right fielder. And the left fielder moved in close to the infield, just behind the shortstop as normal position. Um, well, this year the major leagues got rid of the shift, and they were doing it last year, and uh, apparently they were uh, thinking it was boring. But uh, what happened was that now, now they can't shift like that. Now they have to be, um, you know, the shortstop and the uh, third baseman now have to be to the right of the second base. And the second baseman and first baseman need to be to the left of second base. So, reality is, is that they took that shift too far, but reality is too, you know, it's just, I don't even know why they got rid of it, because, but anyways, I like that type of competition, but I know the one thing is that the shift was just limiting hitters, and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to let people see the natural talent that they had. So, anyways, such an outlandish deep defensive shift would not have been possible against the great hitters. They simply would have bunted along the third base line or punched the ball over the left fielder's head. But Boudreaux knew exactly how Williams would react to the shift. Well, yeah, totally. You know, and that's why, that's why people got upset with the players because Everybody is so hard-headed that they're just going to—they're just going to hit into the shifts like Williams did. I wanted to hit a home run more than ever, Boot Williams said. Just as I could tell, Boudreaux, you put them in the right position, all right, but you should have had had taller men. Boudreaux had dared him to punch the ball to the left field, but Ted would not do it. The shift made him so angry that he tried to hit the ball over everybody's head into the right field stance. For a while, Williams had some success against the shift. Many of the line drives he hit, which normally would have fallen safely for hits, were caught by one of the players standing near the ball line. If they had used that shift against me, Ty Cobb told the newspaper man, I would have batted 1,000. I had stopped it fast by hitting everything to left field. Tell Ted when I said tell Ted what I said the next time you see him. But it was very difficult to tell Williams anything. He went on hitting just the way he was pleased. His batting average dropped a little bit during the rest of his career. His fast start, however, Helped him put together a fine record that year. He's been, he's been 342 
hit 38 home runs and batted in 123 runs. He was voted the most valuable player in the American League. Big Ted came to grief in his only World Series. The Red Sox played the Cardinals that ball. Knowing how she succeeded that Boudreaux shift had been against Williams, the Cardinals used a shift of their own. Ted managed to get only five hits, all singles, and 25 at-bats for a poor average of 200. The Red Sox lost the World Series. Williams was injured during the World Series, and that's what I think they're missing here. And I believe he was, I believe it was a ribcage muscle where you swing at. Williams remained a powerful hitter for many years. Certainly, no man ever knew more than he about the hard art of hitting a baseball. Most of the other ballplayers liked Ted because he was very generous about sharing his knowledge with them. When a ballplayer was in his slump or was having trouble hitting a certain pitch, he would ask Ted about it. Ted always gave good advice, even to players on the other team. Well, one reporter asked Al Kaline and Rick to talk Detroit Tigers for the secret of his success as a hitter. Kaline did not hesitate. Ted Williams, his advice straightened me out. Yet Ted was his own worst enemy. He was often in trouble with the Red Sox officials. Once after he hit a home run, he turned in the direction of the fan and spit at the crowd. The Red Sox fined him for unsportsmanlike gesture. Ted went out of his way to do nice things in private for children and handicapped people. He kept up his war against the Boston fans and the newspaper man, newspaper men, to the end of to the end of his career. All right, there's a guy by the name of Private Dave Egan. That was uh, with one of the Boston papers, and him and Williams were just bitter with each other, fought continuously. And the problem was is that. You know, it's like they said in here, they said, why don't you just be quiet and let it pass? But no, he had to fight with Private Dave Egan. And, you know, it's just like these guys, these other guys that are doing the fight with Williams, they got a big head too. So what happened is that, you know, a lot of the negative stuff that Williams did during the fans against him. You know, and it's just, it's sad. It's very sad. And even beyond when the Red Sox finally won another pennant after a gallant fight in 1967, their fans were immensely proud of them. Williams had retired by then, but he was still a considered part of the Red Sox official family, and he served as the batting instructor in their spring training camp. As the Red Sox prepared for the World Series, their fans and their former players 
flock to Boston from all over the country to pay tribute to this fighting team. They were all they were all there except Ted Williams. Where was he? He went fishing. Ted still preferred to walk his only way. Williams was almost as good a fisherman as he was baseball. And um 1969-1970 he took over a uh, Washington Senators team and they they finished the second place I believe and they had an excellent record Williams was a good manager but the problem was was that his uh, hardcore ways Next year, the next season, turned the uh, the players against him, and they had a horrible year. And they were they uh, they rebutted they rebuttled against Ted, and um, what happened was they were uh, in the last game the Senators played. They're playing the Yankees, and uh, maybe seven or was like the seventh inning. They walked off and just left the game. Just left, just left the game there and uh, never finished the game. And that's the thing is, is that that's why people get pissed at Williams. But the reality is, is that I just, I just learned to avoid the negative stuff and learn to read his positive stuff because I don't know if you can read. Read. There's a book out there by uh, John Underwood. John Underwood. John Underwood called uh, "At Bat," I believe it's called, and it's one of the best hitting now. It's one of the best hitting books you'll ever find. Because now there's books out there with Ted Williams on hitting too, but there's also a uh, there's also a There's also a, a show on YouTube, and it's what it is is Williams and Tony Gwynn sitting down talking baseball. You know, if you want to be a great hitter, just sit down and listen to that. And sit down and look at the videos that Ted shows. You know, one of the blessings was that Williams lived a long time. You know, he didn't die until like I think it was like 2004. It was in the 2000 era. In uh, early 2000s, when, when he when he passed, you know, it he was very he had become very cordial, become a lot different in his approach, and um, what a fun guy to what a, what a fun guy to fall. So, you know, everybody's got their little better ways, but you know, he was a little excessive. But anyways. All right, I'm gonna go on to another one here. But so, if nobody else has told you they love you today, I do, and I say that with the power of love.